Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. So love stories. Uh, We began this series with a love story between Ruth and Boaz and Michaela did an outstanding job presenting this message. And really, it's a story that portrayed the love of Christ as our Redeemer. Even reaching out to the Gentiles, which those that were non-Jews were despised and often rejected by the Jewish nation. But yet, in the story of Ruth and Boaz, Ruth, who was not Jewish, came into the lineage of Christ which is so powerful and redemptive. Then I shared the following week on Hosea and Gomer, which is a love story which we see of God's commitment to us even when we're unfaithful. And God's committed love to us reaches us even when we are unfaithful. But his love tends to always win out. And that's the case in the story of Hosea and Gomer. See, God sees beyond your present condition, whatever it may be, no matter how deplorable it may be, he sees your need and he's reaching out to you with his love. And so then last week we had the story learned about Isaiah, or Isaac and Rebekah, and Brooke Haas ministered in that. And, And really, Isaac is the son of promise, who's actually a type of Christ, who was presented with Rebecca, his wife, which that's a type of, of Christ in the church. And it's interesting because Abraham offered Isaac, or attempted to offer him before God intervened, which is a type and shadow of God offering his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And so we see that type and shadow relating to Christ's love for us. And so... Uh, We're going to continue this series, and today we're going to look at Jesus and the church, the love of Jesus and how that relates to us, and paralleling it with marriage, because marriage reveals, in a sense, the love of Christ for the church, and vice versa. And so in Ephesians, if you have your Bibles, you can find your place in Ephesians, because we'll be referenced referencing that chapter throughout this message. In the book of Ephesians, we see, particularly in chapter 5, the apostle Paul makes a comparison of the marriage relationship to our relationship with Christ. And so the spiritual truth concerning Christ in the church is actually a model for the relationship between a husband and a wife. And or we could say the bride, a husband and his bride. Now, there's other other metaphors we see in the Scripture that are used to describe the church's relationship with God. Uh, Besides a bride, we also see him related to a building. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, the Scripture tells us that we're living stones built up in the house of God. We also see in 1 Corinthians 12, where the body is depicted as the church. And each member of that body has a role that has a part that to play. And so we see those comparisons. We understand that allegories and, and these uh, type of uh, 
things help us to understand spiritual truths. It's a metaphor. It's an allegory that helps us understand a spiritual truth that God's trying to convey to us. Now, the first person to picture Christ as a groom was actually John the Baptist. We see that in, in John chapter 3, verse 29. And he was the forerunner of Jesus. And John knew that it was important that he decrease so that Christ could increase. We also see that Jesus referred to himself as a bridegroom multiple times in the New Testament. Uh, we see the parable of the virgins, the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. But repeatedly, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom, again, conveying this message of his love for the church. Now, let me share this. Every marriage should be cause for celebration. And you might say, well, my marriage is a mess right now. But God desires it to be a cause for celebration. The marriage between Christ and the church is something the universe, the entire universe, should be able to celebrate for all eternity. And we are all, for those that are believers, that have come to faith in Christ, we're sharing in the marriage supper of the Lamb, okay? And that's coming. We won't talk about that this morning, but you'll hear about it at some point. But if you want to look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, 25, this is a key verse for this message, and we'll be looking at other verses within this chapter. But in particular, at this time, let's look at this. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the church is referred to as her, okay? We see that here in this allegory. Now, I, I want to share this. We're going to pray in just a second. Men, whether married or unmarried, if, if you plan to get married, this is also for you. This is our mandate. How have I loved Deb today? as Christ has loved the church. See, that should be a constant reality for us men. How are we loving our wives as Christ has loved the church? And going on, the next step as we see in that verse, how am I giving to her as Christ has given to me, how Christ has given to the church? Am I sacrificial or am I selfish in my demeanor when dealing with my wife, dealing with Deb. And I challenge you husbands with that. How are you living out this passage? How are you loving your wife as Christ loves the church? Now, uh, women, you have your role as well, and we'll get to that. But the burden of weight is upon Christ in his love for the church, just as the burden of weight is upon the husband towards his wife. Okay? So let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to minister your word, to receive from your word, to learn and gain revelation knowledge that will help us to grow in Christ. I pray for everyone, Father, that's here today, that you'll help them in their journey to come to know, to come to understand principles of your word that will help them live this life in Christ successfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, it's important, and I need to talk about this because this is a big word, especially when you look at Ephesians chapter 5, the subject of submission, the subject of 
being submitted because there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of wrong teaching, and there's misunderstanding on this subject. So I want to spend a little time and maybe bring some clarity concerning this issue. So, and, and realize we want to back up and, and take in some verses here. So we want to start in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 to get the context of what the Apostle Paul is writing here. And, and let me just say this, because prior to verse 20, the Scripture is talking about being filled with the Spirit and receiving the Spirit of God's infusion in our life so we can live out this life in Christ, because without the Spirit of God, we cannot do it, okay? And so, in, in verse 20, in fact, let me state this. The Spirit-filled life is marked by mutual submission. Before we see the order set forth by the Apostle Paul for the home, we see this thing of that we call mutual submission. We're submitted to one another. So let's take it up in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here we see in this passage, there's a mutual submission. We submit to one another, and that's simply a yielding or receiving from each other. And, and so that's an important element because... Uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to actually define what true biblical submission is because it's not something we can use to force somebody to do what we want them to do, okay? And so it goes on to say in verse 22, then it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is likened to it. And some people go crazy with this. And they, in fact, there's one group of people and that they believe that if a woman isn't submitted or doesn't submit to their husband, they cannot be saved. That their salvation is dependent upon a wife's submission to a husband. And that's false and wrong teaching, okay? Uh, it's not biblical because this is likened unto it. It's not the same as, okay? And so it goes on to say then, wives, let me read it again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, the husband is not the savior. Okay, mark that down. Christ is the savior. Verse 24, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Now, again, this is qualified, and, and I want to make this very clear. Headship, in this case, within marriage, is leadership not lordship. Okay? Do you understand that? So mutual submission comes before the mention of headship and order in the home. So unless there's mutual submission, then the rest of this is going to, you know, not work in the flow of divine order in the household, okay? Now, the biblical use of the word submission in this passage is a voluntary yielding, not a forced, coerced action. It is a willingness to submit in the sense of voluntary yielding to, in love. We, we yield to love. I mean, our, we submit to Christ because of his love for us. He's not demanding or forcing us to love him. He's inviting us to love him. 
And we love him because he first loved us. We respond to him because of his love. He's somebody we want to submit to because we trust him. And we know he has our best interest at heart, okay? Now, I cannot make my wife or anyone submit to me. I cannot do that. I cannot make them submit. And neither can you. I cannot make them submit to me because that's not true submission. If I try to make you submit to me, then it no longer becomes, becomes submission because it's not her willingly yielding herself. You know, if, if, and, and see, we submit to one another. You know, if, if she wants to go to McDonald's and I want to go to Culver's, I usually say, okay, honey, it doesn't matter to me. It's, <laughs> it's both junk food, you know, what's the deal, you know? <laughs> But usually that's not the, you know, the order of things. But guys, we'll get in trouble if we try to force our wives to submit to us. And that's really a sign of insecurity. If you ever have to get on the bandwagon and say, woman, you submit to me. Oh, man, you, you are messed up. <laughs> you really are. It's a sign of insecurity. And see, we cannot force we cannot force submission within the confines of Christianity. Submission looks different than the world. It's defined different than the world. We submit because of a response to love, where we yield our complete life and heart, our treasure, all that we are to Him because of His great love to us. It's not a struggle to submit to somebody that truly and genuinely loves us, okay? Because there's a trust factor involved. Now, just as Jesus won't force us to submit, we cannot force others to submit to us. Jesus won't force you to submit to him. Why? He's given us a free will. And he will not violate that free will. He won't force you to go to heaven with him. You're a fool if you don't go to heaven with him, you know. But he won't make you do it. Now, it's, it's, it's different when we, you know, are training a horse or we're trying to make them to do something. That's a different thing, you know. But uh, uh, we're talking about biblical submission here. Now, let me say this because this is important. If we fail to submit to the Lord or higher authority... It may be that we are in rebellion, okay? And uh, in which case, there will be consequences, okay? There will be consequences. We cannot ignore that. But we are never to submit to anyone who would require us to go against our conscience or knowingly sin or do wrong. Now, if you are my boss and you ask me to lie or to steal, for you, then fire me, because I won't do that. I will disobey that request. If you want me to do something illegal, something wrong, something sinful, uh, I won't do that. And so I'll say, give me my final paycheck, and I'm out of here. And, and, so, and, and that's a matter of, of, of integrity and following your heart, not blindly following somebody who is corrupt. Now, 
The idea of submission, we just want to give you another thought on this before we move on, doesn't have anything to do with somebody being smarter or better or more talented. It has to do with God's appointed order. You know, when God establishes authority, you know, that person who's in authority over you may not be as gifted and talented than you, but yet there has to be a respect from you towards that person because of the position that they're in. And the Bible says no authority is established without God being involved in that. You, you can read that in, in, in Romans chapter 13. It talks about authorities being appointed of God. All right? So, now, how many of you want a successful marriage, even if you're not married yet, but you're believing one day you will be, okay? You want a successful marriage? Well, if you want a successful marriage, you have to live out Ephesians 5. There's a lot here. So I want to challenge you to commit to study that chapter and pull out truth here that can help you in your marriage or prepare for marriage, if that's where you're at. And so, because Ephesians 5, it defines the roles of the husband and the wife. And see, if you're married, you have to focus on your role, not your spouse's, or demand that your spouse focus on theirs. Because I believe if you are focusing on fulfilling your role, that will fall in place, okay, on their end. Now, the next chapter, Ephesians 6, addresses children and other elements. So Ephesians really is a book and the later chapters that talks about how we live this life in Christ. There's a lot of practical things that we can learn from these chapters from a spiritual vantage point. So, now this passage, I want to read this. We're going to read starting at verse 25. We're going to continue here. This is addressing the husband. Verse 25, husbands, husbands, anybody out there, husband, okay? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So here we see the comparative, the parallel. The love of Christ for the church and the love of the husband for his wife. A love that gives. A love that places a value. A love that sees the best interest of his wife to be met and carried out. See, Jesus is all about pouring out his life for us. And as a husband, we need to pour out our lives for a wife. And you might say, well, what if she doesn't respond to me, Pastor? Well, if you are doing what the Bible says to do, then you might have a different outcome. But until you've applied the word, then don't complain. Okay? So, now, this passage actually gives us instruction for marriage. And so I have three points for you, as I usually do. What do we observe in the relationship of Jesus and the church. Number one, he loves her. He loves her. And I, I shared last time that love is not a feeling, it's a choice. You don't fall in love, you grow in love. So many people are looking for a feeling. 
But feelings are subject to change. Feelings are not constant. You might feel good one day, feel bad the next day. You might feel like you're in love one day, feel like you've fallen out of love the next day. Love is a decision. It's a choice that you stick with. Okay? So, now, Ephesians 5.25, again, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And let me say, a revelation of the love of God has the greatest transforming impact upon a person's life. You need a revelation of God's love. If nothing else, ask God, God, give me a revelation of your love. I need to understand. I know your love. There's a perfect prayer that you can pray in that regard in Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to show part of that prayer. But the Apostle Paul is praying, and he begins to pray for the church, in particular that we might have a revelation of the love of God. Because the Apostle Paul knew if we have that revelation, it will change and transform our lives. So starting in verse 17 in Ephesians 3, it says that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, I want to emphasize that. You being rooted and grounded in love. That's important, okay? Verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Notice verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, it doesn't go contrary to knowledge. It goes beyond knowledge because knowledge needs to come to a place of revelation and understanding. Notice that you may be filled with the fullness of God. When you come to understand the love of God in its dimensions, its depth, its width, its height, then you can come to a place of experiencing the fullness of God. And, and, and we see in 1 John, the Bible says God is love. He's defined as love. If you want to know who God is and how he's defined, he's defined as love. Now, loving, there's a quote by Billy Graham, and I have a couple of these in the message today. Loving the way Jesus loves in every relationship I have in life. I need more of the love of Jesus. See, as great a man as he was, he acknowledged that he still needed more of the love of Jesus, and so do you and I. So, point number two. What do we observe in the relationship of Jesus and the church? Number two, he gave himself for her. He gave himself for her. And this is a commitment. And this is something that people don't like to make in our day, in our generation. In verse 25, the second part of that verse says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He made a sacrifice. See, there was a cost. There was a total commitment. Years ago, the Lord showed me, and you probably heard me share this, a phrase that came to me as I was actually, we were doing a, a rehearsal for a wedding ceremony. And it came to me, this phrase, total commitment results in total fulfillment. Unless we're totally committed to a relationship, you will never be totally fulfilled in that relationship. Half-hearted commitment never brings fulfillment. And so you need to look at the level of your commitment. Am I totally committed to this relationship? Because if you're not, you will not find fulfillment in that relationship. If that's in your relationship with God or if that's in relationship with anyone, a friendship, a marriage partner, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, 
there will not be fulfillment unless there's a commitment, okay, a total commitment. So we need to be, in marriage, we need to be willing to forsake all others in our commitment. There was a day I made a choice that I was going to forsake all others and commit and dedicate and devote my life to this woman sitting right here by the name of Deb Nowak. And part of that deal and package was she had to change her name. <laughs> and she only moved up one letter in the alphabet. <laughs> but yet, I tell you, you know, that's a decision I never have regretted, and I make it a thousand times again. And because in that sacrifice, when we're willing to commit and dedicate our life to that other person, there's something that God does. God gets involved in that because, see, God designed marriage. And when we involve God in the marriage, in our marriage, then he can make it what he intended it to be. As long as we continue to exclude him, then he remains an outsider, and you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. But when God's involved, that's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, a three-fold cord is not quickly torn apart. You can't rip it apart when God's involved. The, three, the third cord is God in that relationship, tying it all together. Okay? So marriage is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And that's within the context of marriage. I, I would like to tell you my wife is perfect, but she's not. Neither am I. But on the road to perfection, she's a, a lot further. She's ahead of me. I, I'm, I'm trying to catch up, okay? Uh, trying to keep up and catch up. And sometimes I feel like, honey, you really got this down. And, but she's always encouraging me. And, um, but uh, sometimes she should slow down. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so... Uh, Marriage, and I have to share this. Give me a couple of minutes to share this element. Marriage is a covenant relationship. And what people don't understand about marriage is that it's a covenant relationship. See, and so we need to address marriage in the terms of covenant. What is covenant? Uh, covenant, we, we could do a whole series on that because there's so much in the Word of God that talks about covenant. The old covenant, the new covenant, the relationship we have with God. Now, covenant requires death to selfish living and a giving attitude. See, covenant is an exchange. It's a total exchange of everything I have with another person. In our covenant relationship with God, we gave him everything we had, our sin, our mess, and he gave us everything he had, his love, his forgiveness, his righteousness, his redemption. See, we came together in that covenant, and to, together it kind of wiped out all the mess that we had because of who we're in covenant relationship with. And so when, when Deb and I entered into covenant, guess what? We merged our finances together. What? You don't keep separate checkbooks? No, because we're becoming one. This is a covenant. We're putting it all together. It's not his, hers, and mine. The only thing that we have that's his or hers is um, toothbrush, the order and stick, and, and bath towels. You know, I don't, I don't use, oh, I mean, unless. <laughs> Let's not go there, okay? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I, I can't believe you guys. You know, your mind is going in. My heart is pure, okay? No. So, back to the word. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Apostle Paul was talking about death to his way, to his selfishness, to what he wanted for the sake of Christ. And so, and it's not a physical death that he's necessarily referring to, although it can be applied that way, but death to selfish desires. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, the Apostle Paul said, I die every day. He died out to his interest, his selfishness, his desires to embrace God's. And see, in a marriage, we, we do that with each other. We die out to our own selfishness. How can we serve? How can we upbuild? How can we uplift the other? And so we need to be committed to a covenant marriage. And so we could say more things on that, but I want to move on to the point number three. What do we observe in the relationship of Jesus and the church? He cleanses us by his word. Now, this is important. And now, this is maybe a little more difficult to see the allegory because what Jesus does for us is so phenomenal. Right now, at this very moment, the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for us. He's speaking over us. He's doing everything he can to help us succeed in this life. Now, he's finished the work as far as our redemption is concerned. He sat down. That work is done. So there's that rest that, that Brooke talked about that we enter into. But he is going to battle for you and me right now in the place of prayer. He is an intercessor for us, okay? Now, he cleanses us by the word in verse 26. In Ephesians 5 says that he might sanctify her. The word sanctify means to set apart. See, my wife is set apart from all other women on this planet. I look at her, I love her, I esteem her differently than any other woman on this planet. Why? Because she's my wife. She is set apart. She is sanctified in my eyes, in my life, in my mind and heart. Okay? And so... Notice, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, what is that? It's what I speak to her and over her. Have you ever noticed, guys, that women respond to words? And I've got myself in trouble more times than I want to admit. I start saying one thing, I realize this didn't come out right. And I know I'm in trouble. And then I try to rectify it, and I go deeper. And then I say, I give up. <laughs> Let, let's start over again. Let's go back to, you know, starting plate here. Um, but so this, this is an important element. Do you talk to or at your wife? There's a difference. Do you talk to or at her? Do you talk down to her in a demeaning way? Or are you building her up with your words? See, these are things you need to ask yourself, guys. This is, this is on you, okay? Now, we need to love like God loves and forgive like he forgives. And your words release or withhold love. Your words release or withhold forgiveness. So you need to really think and be careful about what you say because your words can be very destructive, very hurtful, very harmful. And I'm not telling you to lie. 
But if your wife says, how do I look today? It's great, always great. Beautiful, because she's always beautiful to me. I don't care if she doesn't have makeup on. That doesn't matter to me. I love her, makeup or no makeup. Now, my wife, Deb, she's a classy woman, you know. You know, she really is. And so she knows how to dress up. She knows how to do all those things. In fact, she dresses me up, you know. That's, <laughs> that's part of her mission in life, okay. Yeah. When I pick up my clothes, look out. No telling what. And, and, and now she's done something. She'll remove them from the closet so I won't accidentally put them on, okay. So, and if, if you haven't gone to the closet lately, you're welcome to, honey. Okay. So, yeah. Well, we, I got to share another verse. We got to wrap this up here. Proverbs 18.21, a powerful verse that talks about your words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What we speak bears fruit. What we speak can minister life or can bring a curse and cause death. Death to relationship. And so we have to be careful with our words and speak words of life. So my challenge here, and again, I'm, I'm addressing you guys. What words are you speaking that is building up your wife? She needs that affirmation. And some of you women might be out there and say, my husband never builds me up with his words. He's always complaining. He's always putting me down. Well, there's an answer for you too. Because your prayer, your intercession, and the life you live before him will bring conviction upon his life. As you study out Ephesians or First Peter chapter 1, you'll see that played out there. But really, the greater responsibility is on the husband just as the greater responsibility is on Christ, the, the head of the church, not the wife. So guys, don't be too quick to blame your wife when things aren't going right. Look at yourself and deal with issues in your own heart, in your own life, before you're too quick to blame now, that's not saying that any woman is perfect, but we always, the possible said, look first to yourselves. First to yourselves. What can you do to change? You need to come forth in, in, in a humble fashion. And that we're going to finish out this chapter here in Ephesians 5, setting at 28, as we bring this to a close. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, I know a lot of guys, they take care of their bodies. So, you need to love your wife as you love yourself. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29. For no one ever hateth his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Verse 30. Because we are members of his body. In verse 31, the Apostle Paul quotes Genesis. He quotes the words of Jesus concerning marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's speaking of covenant relationship, the two coming together. Just as we come to know Christ and become one with him, marriage is the parallel. As a husband and wife come together, they become one in that covenant relationship. Verse 32, this mystery is profound 
and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, the marriage is the perfect parallel to understand the mystery of Christ and the church. Verse 33, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wow. Now, just a note, side note here. Five times the scripture exhorts the husband to love his wife. One time, in one place, the scripture exhorts the wife to love her husband. In this case, in other places, it's a matter of respect. Now, more than anything, I want this woman to respect me. But I can't expect her to respect me if I have not loved her as Christ loves the church. The sacrificial, the giving of myself to her. That's marriage. See, the culture is missing it because they don't understand this, this concept of marriage. As we bring this to a close, we need to understand, I want to give an invitation to those of you that may not have a personal relationship with Christ. Maybe you haven't come into an understanding of covenant relationship. As Jesus, with his love, with his life, reaching out to you, inviting you to come to know him in a personal way. Billy Graham had stated in his crusades many times, the cross is an offense to people because it demands. It doesn't just suggest a new lifestyle in all of us. It demands us to come to him and we will be changed. It's, it's something that's in the form of an invitation. Sin is a disease in the human heart. It affects the mind. It affects the will. And it affects the emotions. Jesus became the cure for sin by taking our sin and dying on the cross. We can break free. Today, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I cannot say that I really know Jesus as my Lord and my personal Savior, but I'm willing to surrender my life to him today. I'm willing to yield to him and invite him into my life because if I want change, it requires that I give my life to him. And if you're willing to surrender to him today, I want to pray for you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around right now. As, as you have your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to share with you John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God is offering to you right now, eternal life. He so loved you, not just the world and masses, but you as an individual, that he sent his son to die in your place, to pay the penalty for your sins so you could be free from sin and receive forgiveness and receive eternal life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm uncertain that my life is right with God and I want to give my heart to him today. I want to give my life to him today. I want you to raise your hand nice and high so I can see it. Thank you for that upraised hand. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you for those that have raised your hands. Let's stand up together, and we're going to pray this prayer together. And for those of you that have raised your hand in a moment, we're going to have the prayer team come up here. And just as a young man at the age of 15, I got out of my seat and came to the front of that theater to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I want you to do that today for those of you that raised your hand. You did the first step. You acknowledged, I need Jesus. I want to give my heart, my life to him. And if there's any others that want to join those that come up, where the prayer team is here, you're welcome to. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I believe in my heart that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I receive him now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and be the Lord of my life. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me new life. Jesus, I call on your name and I receive you now. Make my life what you want it to be. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.